From the boardroom to the shop floor, good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Dembele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and welcome to tonight's installments of Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod Dembele. I'm delighted to be in your company as we celebrate women's achievement. Uh, tonight's conversation is inspired by the state of the economy, something which must dominate everyone's mind. Sadly, what we've seen in terms of investigations uh, and, and inquiries have somehow created mixed feelings. At one level, we are happy that uh, the culture of impunity, which is characterized by looting, is being attended to. On the other hand, we're also concerned that not much energy is being put on, on, the, on getting the economy back on track. Um, this, the last part is, is actually going to define our conversation tonight. But before we get to the swing of things, uh, let me take this opportunity to thank, uh, you know, Happy, I mean, Kathy Kaina, um, Simon Instein, Mandy, Lindy Ware, uh, Unati, and, uh, you know, as always, I'm not flying solo. I have Tabo, who's the producer of the show. And once again, Tabo, thank you very much for, you know, being, being with us. Uh, if you missed our show last week, uh, don't not to worry. Uh, go to our website. Simply download the, uh, the podcast at www.highfm.com and let us know what you think. Um, and tonight is not an exception, as I always implore you to be part of our conversation by our, our WhatsApp or SMS platform. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. And I'm pleased to take your emails, as always. Uh, you know, for those that keen to drop me an email, please do so. My email address is nimrod at chaitosudozere. Uh, in setting the scene, um, I really wanted us to reflect majorly on the status of the economy from a turnaround point of view. Uh, you know, we, we are in a crisis. The economy is bleeding and there's an urgent need for a turnaround, uh, from a policy point of view. Um, just to create a picture, we know that we're currently sitting at about 29% of unemployment. And when using a, a broader definition of unemployment rate, we're probably, probably sitting up, um, you know, between anything between 39 and, you know, 20, 20, 38 to 39%. The government debt uh, ratio um, has reached almost 56%. Um, the gross debt to GDP is also, you know, un- very unpleasant. So, so this kind of statistical background, uh, Indicate really the need for us to, 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 you know, to turn on our economy. And South Africa is not the only country that is faced with numerous structural and economic challenges. However, we can learn from a number of countries. For an example, the OECD countries, um, equally have a, a reform process that is currently underway. Uh, countries such as Spain, uh, and, and Italy. As part as as well as the, the you know uh, European countries in in, in the main, uh, are, have embarked on a series of reform, um, and we could beginning to see some of despite the you know economic downturn, there, there's been of traction, uh, and where where there's been a consistency uh, in terms of the policy reform, uh, countries like China, Japan, and India um, are also leading in the the reform space. Clearly, there's something that South Africa can can look at, uh, emulate, um, um, you know, for, for for us to really take the country out of the current, uh, you know, uh, state of of depression, if you like, because we are in a state of depression. 
uh, and there's no way of looking at it. I mean, when you see 29% of unemployment, uh, what what better definition can you come up with? In any case, before I get into the, the real issues, I'm, jo- I'm, gonna, I'm joined in studio uh, by, by a regular voice, uh, Unati Mdoninti, who is an ethic consultant, and will later be joined by Eric Stillerman, who is the CEO of business uh, London Business School SA. Uh, you know, as I've already painted a picture, let me take this opportunity to welcome Onati and say, Chief, welcome once again. Thank you, thank you, Doctor. Thank Th- you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, Onati, I've painted a picture um, that we are in a, a dire situation. We we need to be focusing our energies on um, strategies that are practical and tactics that are, that are practical that would give us an edge. I want quickly want to reflect, um, you know, on on the following. Firstly, there's a lot that we can do uh, from uh, you know land redistribution point of view. There's a lot that we can do in restructuring of the SLEs. There's a lot that we can do in driving manufacturing to st- you know to stimulate demand, especially in the broader African continent. Uh, perhaps maybe you know without going into detail of on, on each of these issues that I wanted to reflect on. Let's start with uh, the issue of the land. How you know because what we have seen. At least that's, that was my view. What we've seen that the, the issues of the land redistribution should not only be an ideological question or an issue. It has to be a strategic issue that can only benefit the majority you know, of, 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 of South Africans from an employment point of view. So what, what is it that we can do to change the narrative you know, that uh, in the issues around redistribution of land or land question um, you know, how do you get it to move just beyond this ideology that, you know, uh, it's radical, it has to be, you know, how do we unlock the benefit that so that we're able to create value for everyone and we're able to change? Because that's something that is very practical, that can be done, uh, provided there's a willpower. What's your take on that? Thank you so much. It's uh, For me, the, the, there's two important, dis- there's a distinction first that we need to make between restitution and redistribution of the land. But we also have to acknowledge that whether we redistribute or there's a restitution of the land, if the land continues to lie fallow or and or the land doesn't have value, then that makes no meaningful contribution to our economy. For the land to have value, there must be people who are willing to till it or to work that land. So, the land issue for me should be approached in two ways. One is to make the land available both by restitution and by by redistribution. But I think parallel to that is to create an awareness and, 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 and a troop of South Africans who have been excluded from meaningfully participating in the economy who are ready to work that land. And I think, for me, that is, is the key to the land. We can also talk about how we create value to land. Because a lot of the time, some of the, the, the biggest portion of the land in the country now that has value is actually urban land. Or what becomes a contestation is, is, is largely been urban land. So part of what we should do is how do we create more urban land? Because that for me is, is actually key. I actually agree with the president that 
one of the things that we haven't done in the 25 years of our democracy is to create towns. We should have created at least two towns. I was quite excited in the previous administration when there were two new universities. I thought that that's, that this, that's a theme that we're going to carry where we realize that unless we make the pie bigger, we're not going to be able to, we're going to share smaller meaningless slices of, 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 of a smaller pie. You know, in, a, in the end, we all end up having taken a sip and in the end we are all still thirsty as opposed to if we make this pie of land, meaningful economic value land available to people. But that land, in my view, requires people to till it. Um, and and I'm, I'm quite excited a bit coming from the Eastern Cape where I now see people starting to plow their fields, something that had been happening for decades. I'd not seen some of the fields, not, they had not been, the land was laying fallow for decades. But I see people are starting to plow again because that's the attitude that we need to to bring to this question of the land. It's not just an emotive issue of redistribution or sentimental emotive issue of redistribution, but it's an it's an issue of having redistributed or restituted the land. They are appealing. Uh, there are troops of people who are willing to work it. I'm glad you raised the issue that transcend you know emotions um, to say. The land, the land, whether it's available through redistribution or, or redistribution, um, people ought to work on the, on the land. If, if, you know, you can have the land available. If you don't have the means to work on the land, if you don't have resources to work on the land, and it's meaningless because it's not going to add value. So from a strategic and practical point of view, do you think government has been able to sequence its initiative. Firstly, you avail land, and secondly, you provide a support mechanism for those that seek to work the land or to, you know, till it and, and, and be productive on it. What, what do you think is missing from the policy point of view? Because the debate has always been about, you know, availability. It's about restitution, about, uh, you know, uh, 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 making the land available. The, 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 I think the conversation should be on the support that those that are, are working on the land, uh, what sort of support are we looking at and the extent to which the support makes difference in so far as creating job opportunities? Because without, you know, creating value, or value can only be derived uh, based on the kind of activities that are taking place on the land, you know, and, and, and the resources that are needed for the land to be productive. My, my view is that even the efficacy of that support is a function of a citizenry that's willing and has the courage and has the commitment to work the land. I mean, I know a few examples where government provided resources and provided equipment and provided land, but within a very short space of time, that farm or that, that piece of land is laying fallow. So, and I mean, I've seen examples. I remember a, a post I saw from a president, Tabumbeki, showing some people from, I think, Zimbabwe who had a farm somewhere in the Western Cape. And, and they, they were they able to turn it around. Yeah, they were tilling the land, but they were from Zimbabwe. So, so for me, that all these things have to intersect. We can't have two of the tree or one of the tree. We need all tree. We need the land, we need the resources, and we need the people. So, so the government cannot work the land itself. Otherwise, you know, it's some form of corruption if government officials are starting to work the land. 
So, so we, we need a citizenry that is not into instant gratification. Because tilling the land by nature does not lend itself very well with instant gratification. So that, those, that's the culture that we need to rebirth um, in this country when it comes to land. So I'm not, even though I, I don't think the government finances are not uh, in the best of shapes, but I still think there's some resources for government to spare. But the issue is, do we have the people to do that? Um, I mean, to, to, to invest 20 million, 30 million, 40 million, 100 million in some of these land-related agricultural um, schemes is not something that is beyond even this government, even under current financial circumstances. What more difficult is, is, is to get the right people to, 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 to do that. And I think that's something as South Africans, we must look at ourselves at. But what's your, not, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that you are making reference to the, the cohort of individuals who are dedicated to, to till the land and not, and not just uh, demand the land. Um, that will ultimately lie fallow because they don't have the means or even the energy to work on. From from the government uh, point of view, what kind of message, you know, is coming through, or is there is, is the messaging from government sufficient to drive this kind of orientation? In that, um, you know, it is available, um, you know, but people need to work on it, um, and and those that have the, those that are working on it are going to be successful. Uh, what kind of message is coming through from where you're sitting? At best, it's it's a mixed message, and I think that's one of the, one of the challenges with our government is it communicates mixed messages. Let me give an example. It's one thing to have a program to tell the people that there is a fund in the land bank or somewhere where if you apply and you have the credentials, um, you will you will you will be able to get funding and get land and go and till the land. But then the same government, when somebody doesn't do exactly what they're supposed to do, drags its feet to deal with that person and the consequences of that person. So government must learn that communication is not only what you've written down and, and prepared as a press release. Communication is also how you act because people notice how you act. So for me, one of the things that the government should do is, con- is to be consistent in the message of saying we are serious about Improving our people, but we're also equally serious to deal with those who are in hindrance to that improvement. And that for me is a far more consistent way of, 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 of communicating. But I, I, I find that when we have to deal with people who are not doing well, all of a sudden we, we drag our feet to our government or the state even drags its feet when it has to do that. And I think that is, is a typical mixed communication. I mean, I, I don't want to go into the, the policy uncertainty issues. I'm just trying to deal with a practical communication issue, which if it's consistent, then people will have confidence. I mean, there are other people who prefer not even go to government programs because they don't have the confidence to do so. And sometimes those are the people that would really bring success that the government is looking for. But how would you activate the very same confidence that you're talking about? For an example, I mean, agriculture is a viable economy. Provided there's, there's sufficient uh, understanding, there's sufficient willpower, and there's, there's, there's real interest uh, to unlock the opportunities, um, you know, that, that could create value in terms of job creation. 
but what are the practical things that could be done to make agriculture fashionable? You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go to something that might seem unrelated, but to me it is. You know, one of the things that was given to the then Deputy President Jacob Zuma was to do a moral regeneration. Because there's a strong link in my view between morality and productivity and competence and commitment. And and that's something that as a society or government should champion as quickly as possible. Because one of the things that defeats this country, not just the government, but defeats this country, is this culture of materialism and instant gratification that even when people have been given what is a very good opportunity, the minute there's a bit of money, they want to buy cars, they want to buy the most expensive cars, and that is a culture that defeats the same um, programs that government tries sometimes to put in place. And I think sometimes they do try sincerely to put a program they believe would work, but I think it gets sabotaged by these kind of behaviors that... that, that. The point I'm trying to make, uh, Dr. Bell, is that ultimately a country will always succeed based on the quality of the citizens that it produces. Even the resources that we can amass as a country, even the type of economy we can develop as a country, will always be a function of the quality of the citizens that we produce. If the quality of the citizens that we produce drops, everything else around that citizenry is going to drop. It's an inevitable consequence. So I, I for me, it's, it, it might seem unrelated and might even seem philosophical, but in my view, that is always, in my view, the, 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 what I would call the axiomatic truth. Everything boils down to people. Even we can have the best equipment, we can have the best this, we can have the best that. But if the quality of the people that we produce is not appropriate or consumerate with what we are looking to have, there's going to be a problem. And I think in this country, that's what is, is in my view, the problem of a democratic South Africa. A democratic South Africa has just failed, in my view, dismally to produce the kind of a citizen that would take us to where we want to go. But whose responsibility is there to, to, to create it's, it's, um, citizens that are active citizens that are knowledgeable about, firstly, not only their rights but also their obligations? Because mm. my the, the, the very dominant narrative about the kind of citizens <coughs> that you have, particularly among the youth, is more of, of entitlement um, um, and, and rights, um, overriding obligations. Um, that, that, that is something that is problematic. And that is why it is very difficult uh, to make sectors such as agriculture more 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 inattractive and more durable, because um, people are have this mentality just to demand, and there's very little effort that goes with the the the, the you know the, the overall expectation in terms of what they need. So so coming back to my earlier point, would it be useful therefore in in making you know the sector for now because the conversation is on agriculture to make the sector fashionable, attractive, particularly to youth, because the biggest concern of unemployment, we've got more than 60% of the youth that are currently unemployed. Of the 29%, the bulk majority of the youth. So we need to get to programs that that can relate to youth and programs which do not require higher level of, of skills, competencies, if you like, you know, to drive the economy. But 
that kind of um, cohort of youth don't necessarily appreciate the sector because it is seen as a sector meant for people who who are who have who have no ambition or are backwards or who are backwards you know and yet that is a that is a cornerstone of any you know sustainable economy we 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 in this in the circumstances that we have or we we live or we find ourselves in we have to make some tough choices and i think the youth must also be aware that it's a time where we have to make tough choices. And, and as you we were talking, I'm thinking about a, a country like France, where one of its dominant economic contributors is tourism. So France decides deliberately as a country that we're going to host a, a FIFA World Cup in 1998, purposefully because that type of event lends itself to the kind of economic set or tourism economic sector that they are dominant in in the world. So... These are tough choices that, that we have to make as a country if, if that's what we want, we want to, to do. In other words, we must inform and, and, and give opportunities to the youth in the, in the, in the agricultural sector. And we have to re, we have to teach them values because that's the one of the things that is missing is, 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 and one of those values I would say has to do with dignity. Because I think you you are without dignity when you want to have money that you did not work for. And I think that's one of the things that the youth are struggling with. One of the values that, that, that we need to reinstate in this country is that it's not about being flashy. It's not about being seen out there. It's It's about what can sustain and what can stand the test of time. And those are the values. Um, and, and, and agriculture as a, as a, as an industry offers that. It offers, um, people to rediscover themselves. It offers dignity because you're going to, to, to work, to work hard. I don't think that it's, it's really correct to say that agriculture is for the less learned and, and there's a lot of research. I mean, as an investment, um, I'm, I'm thinking we can do a lot to invest in agricultural colleges because in this country we have agricultural colleges. Um, we can broaden the scope of the Agricultural Research Council, make sure that they research in the areas of, of agriculture that we are dominant in, and we can dominate, uh, continue to dominate even in the export market. Um, there's a lot that has to do with agricultural economics. There's a lot of research. So there are opportunities even for the youth that is inclined on the intellectual and the philosophical parts of the agricultural industry. It's not that there is no such opportunities. They are there. But it might be that there are parts of the or the agricultural industry where the less learned or the less educated people can participate. Because part of the problem also is that from a productivity perspective, some of the farmers say it's better to have a machine than to employ hands in, 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 in the agricultural sector. So that's something though that we need to come together as, 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 as this country and with the farming, uh, our community so that we can be able to do, to, to bring together, um, better participation in, in the industry. There you have it. And that's, uh, Unatim Nonam Tononzi. He's, uh, currently joining me as we are deliberating on, 
uh, specific aspects of turnaround uh, strategies which the country can embark on. Um, for those who have just joined us, um, you know, please weigh in in our conversation. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram is 061 um, um We will obviously be getting to the second bit of the conversation, uh, uh, looking at other practical uh, avenues that we can explore and, and, and change the economy. We'll do that in just a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back uh, to Beyond Governance. Uh, my name is Nimrod. Um, for those who have just joined us, um, we're having a conversation around macroeconomic issues. We're talking about mechanism that the country can employ to turn around uh, the economy. Earlier on, I did reflect on the status of the economy in terms of unemployment. Are reflected on the state of the economy in terms of the the debt to uh, you know uh, debt to uh, GDP ratio, which is unprecedented and um, quite quite taxing in, in from the economic point of view. And uh, we you had a conversation you know uh, with Unati Mtoninzi, who really gave us a, a, his thoughts um, in terms of what are the practical things that could be done from the the, the agricultural side of things. Because we maintain that agriculture remains a very lucrative uh, sector through which if, if there's sufficient uh, energy, we can create so many, you know, employment opportunities. Uh, um, you know, uh, we're now joined by, you know, Eric Stillerman, uh, as I indicated earlier that he'll be joining us. Um, Eric is the CEO of uh, London Business School SA and a strategist who will give us his thoughts as well in terms of what are the practical things which um, they can, they, the country needs to drive towards because truth be told, we, we're quite fed up by this, you know, very daunting and negative energy or daunting narrative. Uh, we need to focus our energy on what really works um, as a country. Uh, it is good that, you know, we, we have this investigation and, and, and inquiries, um, but this should not be the focus. The focus is getting, uh, you know, every single person employed, uh, and, and, and that could be done by drastic reforms, policy reforms. Uh, one of them, you know, is the reform around agriculture. The other one, you know, could be reforming the state on enterprises. Um, the other one is that how do we stimulate, you know, e- economic growth by looking at manufacturing? Manufacturing has a huge prospect of turning around the economy. Uh, but anyway, let me give, um, you know, Eric an, an opportunity to uh, his views in terms of what are the practical things um, which we could do as the country to try and change around the status quo. Okay, thanks. Good evening, Nimrod. Uh, hi, Nati. How are you? You're welcome, sir. Good, good, good. Okay, um, Nimrod, I, I, I think to me what has to happen now is there needs to be a stand of leadership uh, um, from the president, from the minister of finance, from the ministers singing in unison from the same hymn sheet. But most importantly, because there's a vacuum, we've been saying it the last couple of weeks, there's a vacuum of leadership. And there's a vacuum of communication as to what exactly the plan of action is, as to how policy measures and strategies are going to be implemented, for which have been spoken about at quite at length, but haven't actually been begun the process of implementation. The good news is that I think it was last week or earlier this week, um, Nimrod, the, the National Planning Commission met 
and uh, the key people in the, the key ministers and directors general. And they resolved to say, in fact, in, in, with the Minister of Finance, that in two weeks' time, all the action plans will be communicated and laid on the table. So there's something to look forward to along the lines of what I'm speaking now. And it's ac- across all the sectors. It includes the state-owned enterprises. Exactly how are we going to deal with ESCOM and the massive debt not only of ESCOM, but of the country. How are we going to avoid a downgrade? Now, there are strategies and there are measures that government has in mind. Um, I went to the 25-year review recently, and I was privileged to hear the Director General in the Presidency, um, Pumi Mpofu, uh, talking about the various plans that, that they've got in mind. We need to see the communication stepping up drastically because... You know, not only the the people of this country, but the markets are, you know, jumping up and down. The rand has, you know, gone in, into a very weak state. Okay, um, and the, the stock exchange is 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 falling drastically. So once you get a, a show of leadership and confidence, and a sense of what people are are intent on doing together with what the role of the private sector is, and we know that there are public-private in, um, initiatives which are on the go and that which can be quite optimistic. I noted Sim Chabalala, uh, uh, CEO of Standard Bank yesterday, put out a, um, a statement at the results announcement in the annual report that is quite optimistic going forward from a banking and, and, and an economic perspective. And that cuts through, and we can go through them one by one, sector by sector. That includes, it includes not only um, land and agriculture, which I, I was listening on the way here to what you were saying, in Unati, and, and I agree with you, um, and not only manufacturing, but specific segments of manufacturing, like the auto manufacturing sector, which is a huge sector and a big employer, and it's already there and it's already part of a global value chain. It just needs to be taken to another level. We have pockets of excellence within this country, like the wine industry, which is, you know, a world competitive industry, which uh, plays in the in the big game out there. So, in fact, on a policy reform perspective. Uh, you know, you don't have that many sectors where the issue is policy. Data spectrum is one of those things that has to be activated and a process has already been put in place. So I think the country's waiting with bated breath to hear what, in fact, the leadership has got up their sleeve. How are we going to balance the budget? I noted that Lesetje uh the governor of the Reserve Bank, said yesterday, we're not running to the IMF. Our debt situation is not what we want it to be, but it's nowhere near the level of countries that go to the IMF. Just to give you a, a figure that you may or may not be familiar with, a benchmark, a guideline of the debt ratio in, in, in a country debt to G- GDP is about 60%. Due to excellent management under Trevor Manuel, which ended about some like nine, ten years ago, we went down to about 20%. Of GDP, we we under Trevor Manuel we actually balanced the budget. We had a surplus one year, so in the last nine ten years we've talked up that debt. We've borrowed okay on the mortgage of the country up to about sixty percent, and everybody's starting to panic. It's not panic stations. The countries in Europe 
and certainly countries throughout Africa and including America, which at a hundred percent of GDP. So we're not a completely basket case country at this point in time. It's the direction that we've been going in that we want to reverse. And that's what a turnaround really means. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm happy you raised a few pertinent uh, points. Yes. Eric, one is the, the need to bump the communication, uh, from government side. Sure. Because we, we, we clearly not communicating those pockets of excellence. Because the more we communicate better, the market is likely to be responsive. For sure. And appre- appreciative of the fact that it is not gloom and, uh, it is not doom and gloom. But, you know, I also want us to look at sector by sector. Sure. Because I'm not there sitting issue that cuts across. Um, you know, for an example, one of the issues that I've picked up recently, there's an article that I read from, uh, some professor from VETS, uh, making reference to monopoly, mo- monopolies in the private sector. That monopolies are not necessarily uh, good for the con- for the economy because they are stifling new entrants. They are stifling, uh, you know, great opportunities. They are stifling competitiveness. You're right. So that's one bit that we can look at as the economy and say, yes, which sectors are are dominated by few players? Because by virtue of being, by virtue of having few players in the market space. Um, you know, we can't get the prices down because there's very few, you know, uh, there's the element of competition. So perhaps maybe from, from a, a, from that angle, which I thought, hmm, it makes a lot of sense, you know. So that's something that we can look at as an economy. Yeah. How do we deal with, uh, 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 market domination of few players? Okay. You know? Let, let, let's take a practical example, which uh, we, we were, I referred to earlier. Take the, the question of data costs. The reason that data costs is, is are high in this country is really because the, the, the game is dominated by two or three major players, which is not really a monopoly. Most of our industries, most of our sectors are dominated by two, three or four major players. The banking sector, Vodacom, MTN, Celsi. That is the cell phone industry, the mobile industry in this country. Now, it's in their interests. They all listed companies, right? That that costs of data are high because that's how they make their money and the costs of telephone calls. So when you're talking about, you know, unbundling or, 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 you know, opening up competition in those industries, what, what would happen? And, and that's why when they go in, in fact, to open up data spectrum, what's, what they're talking about now, they're working on a white paper, which will bring new players into the game, dramatically bring the costs of data down. But Vodacom, MTN, and, and Celsi are going to start kicking and screaming because their profitability is going to go down. I mean, you, I don't know if you've noticed. No, no, yep. no but you see, the, 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 that's immaterial because we, we are looking at the, the, the greater good. You know, we're looking at how we can, you know, bump up the economy to bring more players. And that, that is a fundamental role of, of, of a government that is concerned or that should be concerned with the current unemployment. So one way of addressing uh, uh, unemployment is to create opportunities. The problem, though, no, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the problem is when you dramatically affect the major players in, in, the, in the economy, there are going to be job losses. So Kasatu and business are on the side of saying you can't do those kind of policy changes Immediately in the short term, because of the job losses 
and the disruption it's going to cause to the economy. So what you want there, including the land issue and most of the sectors where you want to achieve a gradual change and an opening up of the economy. It's got to be gradual. It's got to be measured. There got to be mitigation measures which don't upset this, the, the whole game of the economy. It's the same thing with energy. I, right I, agree, now, I agree. But here's something perhaps maybe Unati could, could help us yes, sure. to, to conceptualize properly because yes. what we need, something that is, we have the NDP yeah. as the macroeconomic strategy of the country. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, the last time I checked, there was a lot of buy-in from even from political parties. Would that, would, wouldn't that give us an opportunity to create a common discourse around how to take, you know, you know, the, how to phase in policy reforms, either in energy, in manufacturing, sure. in the banking sector, so that we we, we don't we don't affect, um, you know, the the, the the kind of issues that you've raised. Absolutely. I, I actually have a different view. This gradual introduction of reform has not helped this country. The reality of the matter is we only have 6 million taxpayers supporting a population of 59 million people. That is completely unsustainable. And if MTN or Vodacom think that these things must be done gradually so that it can suit their profits... We're going to have a time bomb of a society that's going to be up in arms. And I'm not sure how much profit will they make if this country starts to burn. So you you see that there's this notion that as a government, you must treat MTN as a superior citizen to Unati, who's a normal citizen. <laughs> and I think we need to be careful about that. Yeah. So, so I, I'm... I'm I, on the one side, I'm not suggesting the extreme that we must not care about MTN. We must yeah. care. But MTN must also show some willingness sure. to to forego some of those things in the better interest of the country. Need, if, 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 if that yeah. does not happen, but this country, in my view, there will be nothing left. But here's something that perhaps maybe the two of you, because I, you know, this is quite a heated debate. Uh, which, which I think even the listeners might want to weigh in here, because we, we we need to find that common goal collectively. We need to bring all the players on the table, like we have done in the 90s. We need to bring labour on the table. We need to bring government. We need to bring members of civil society or different civil society organisation on one strategic document that we can all agree in practical terms. Because unless we do that. We have, you know, the, some of the opportunities or some of the gains that you made reference to last week are operating at the very top, which is 2% of, you know, South Africans, mm. as opposed to 90% of South Africans. Mm. So we do need, to, we, we, we basically need that kind of a conversation as a collective to say, here we are as a country, you know, what are the trade-offs? This is not sustainable. You can't have a situation where 6 million uh, of taxpayers are subsidizing so many. We can't have so many people literally going cap in hand in as much as it is useful, but it's not sustainable in a, in, 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 in a, long, in a, in a long term. So we do need to have a proper conversation uh, and a brutally honest conversation as a, as a society. And it gets back to the point that you raised earlier, leadership. And not just ordinary leadership. We need 
courageous leadership. We sure. need the president uh, who would uh, really stand up and make some of this declaration sure. and say we, we're going to have to tighten our belts. Yeah. And we can't do that if the labor is not coming, it's not paying the game. So, so just to, to bridge the gap between the short-term measures to kickstart and get the economy going and medium-term measures which restructure the economy to broaden the base, okay? How, how, how long-term or how medium-term is a question of, of discussion, which government needs to, quite correctly, bring all the parties together. There is a forum for that, NEDLAC, in which I've been, been personally involved, which was set up specifically for that point purpose in, I think, 1993. And at times it's been very productive. In the job summit, in the investment summit, and in, in a number of sectoral summits, they do come together and they do deal with these issues. The shortage is really implementation. And what is the plan of action? It, it includes energy. It includes data. It includes the banking sector. The banking sector is also an oligopoly with four or five big banks. So, and, and I'm, I'm just repeating to you uh, that if you try and just disrupt that whole industry overnight, you lose all the players in that game. The players that those six million people and the corporates who pay their taxes, like one and a half trillion rand, are what's keeping this country going. And as you say, it's supporting the rest of the country and creating the jobs that exist and can create more jobs. Okay. So we need, as I say, to bridge the gap between how to kickstart the economy now and how to change it and restructure it over a period of time. And that's got to be guidance from the top. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm repeating myself. There is a way. You know, it's not as if it's totally impossible to do. But people are waiting for that kind of direction. Okay. Maybe as a, as a parting shot, uh, before you come in, let us focus our energy on, on bringing in the elephant in the room, um, the labor. You know, because it has been painted, there's, there's this narrative that labor is, has become counterproductive. Labor is not really playing game and, and it may not be fair or there may not be merit on, on those kinds of, of argument, but it really depends where you're sitting. What would it take to bring labor and government and business, you know, on a table and agree not only on the conversation, but the follow-ups? Because we have a very, I mean, Eric pointed the pinch in terms of so many platforms that exist. Uh, what is lacking is the implementation. Mm. What will it take? What is it that each of the sectoral leadership needs to do differently to live up to the expectations of, of the resolutions that they've come up with? I, I, I think that there, there are two, in my view, there are two reasons why we don't implement in this country. One is that when we develop policies and strategies, the people that have power don't participate. And then when the implementation comes, they want to participate because that's when the money is going to be spent. As a result, then get, things get stuck because what the policy says and what their interests are looking for are not aligned. And that's why we suffer. Okay. The second reason why we, we suffer Similar to that is that we go to NEDLAC, but the challenge is that we don't go to NEDLAC sincere about what we are trying to achieve. So what happens is the negotiations happen, 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 and there's an agreement. But there's a key party that in his heart is not party to that agreement. 
And that part in most cases is key to the implementation. Whether that part is government, whether that part is labor, or whether that part is business. So, so part of what we need to do in sorting out the efficacy and the, and, and the influence of NEDLEC is that people must come to NEDLEC, in my view, sincere. And that whatever is agreed on NEDLEC, because it's, implementation is not South Africa's biggest problem. When we've agreed on something, we do it in this country. If we agree that we're going to host a, 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 a World Cup, a soccer World Cup, something never been done in this continent, sure. we do it. Right. But we do it because we've agreed. Yep. So, but I think also what must happen is that the government, true, true what the NDP says, we need to give, to build a, a capable state. To give an example, where it can say, because there's a problem in the retail banking industry, where's the government, through whatever vehicle, we're going to buy Capitec. I'm just making an example. I'm not saying yeah. We're going to buy Capitec and convert Capitec to the kind of bank that serves the best interests of this country. But those are radical decisions because ultimately it might actually come to that. Because the expectation that Standard Bank and NetBank and APSA and are going to voluntarily forgo their profits, hmm. it might not happen. No, but, but, you know, can I just quickly jump in there? Uh, uh, Unati, you know, th- that line of argument, it's, it's almost rhetor- rhetorical in my view. Uh, it's almost like pie in the sky for simple reason. Because for that kind of argument to hold water, you need to demonstrate your capabilities. Uh, if ESCOM was managed in a manner that is fitting, you know, if ESCOM was managed, you know, if it not make 20 billion rands loss uh, and say we've made profit, we are running these things in, in a manner that is correct and, we, you know, the state is deriving revenue, then that line of argument could hold. I, 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 I qualified my mm. point by mm. saying we need a capable state, yeah. and I agree. Yeah. If there's no capable mm. state, then the whole point doesn't stand. Absolutely, absolutely. Let me just give my parting shot here. I think the, the various parties have got to compromise in a pragmatic plan of action. In other words, the, the business people who are involved in the action plan for ESCOM can't say, you know, you reduce the labor force from 45,000 to 20,000, which is all you probably need. You've got to do, in order to have labor on board, they've got to have their interests looked after. However, they need to understand what the game is in order for ESCOM to survive. And that's the kind of conversation that needs to happen. And it is happening. The point is that we've got to now move on. And I'm saying, the agreements need to become communicated. The plan of action needs to be. And then, like the World Cup, we need to drive it and make it happen. And that's hopefully we can do that. I'm looking very forward to what they're going to announce in the next week or two. Absolutely. You're, you're parting short tonight. Yeah, we, 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 we need to make some tough choices. Um, I was hearing the DG of, of, of Treasury saying when government needs to cut its salaries by 10%. It needs to what? To cut salaries, the salary bill yep. by, by 10%. Mm-hmm. And the, the normal reaction is that they, they must cut cabinet salaries as well. But the quantums are just incomparable. I mean, you even if you do cut cabinet salaries by 50%, 
how much are you going to get? 70 million rands, 80 million rands, I mean 100 million rands? That can't be compared to the 60 billion rands you'll get if you cut the salary bill of government by 10%. So, so what I'm trying to say, and, and I mean... Perhaps, may, perhaps maybe it's, it's not a principal issue that underpins that thought process that we're not in a, in a sustainable uh, environment, irrespective of whether the quantum are material. It, it might well be, but I think what Eric was saying was that there's some things that needs to be done now. Mm. If we don't do those things, yep. we're going to be in trouble in this Very country. So yeah, we, we are in uh, trouble already. Yeah, so, so, so my understanding is that there's some things we need to do immediately, exactly. and there are some things that we need to go do in the medium term and in, sure. into the long term. But one of the things that we need to resolve is to, for the government to have more money to spend. If that does not happen, we can't even spend money on infrastructure at the moment. So, so I think all of us as South Africans, and I think it goes to the issue of leadership, we must understand that things are just abnormal. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're just going to have to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much, Eric. Thank, thank you, you very much, Machi, for, 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 um, you know, uh, for a, a very thought-provoking <laughs> engagement. I sincerely hope uh, you know, everybody uh, enjoyed our conversation. What we're going to do uh, in future, um, and I want to put my neck on the block here, Eric, is to bring in the leadership of Business Leadership SA. Mm-hmm. Because it's high time that you get a perspective from that level, that level of authority, right. as opposed to making, you know, claims and assumptions yeah. based on a, a sometimes ill-informed uh, position. Because we're not, we're not part of those conversations. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to elevate the, the level of, of of content, and for that matter, Kasatu. You know, and to elevate level of content in terms yeah. of what what is being done by business. What are the bottlenecks, and how business uh, can be aided? By institutions such as media, mm-hmm. in terms of addressing some of these issues, you know, so so that's something that I'm I'm gonna try and do. Uh, before yeah, before I part part, I just acknowledge an SMS from uh, Benjamin. Uh, he says, uh, you know, he thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, the program, and uh, the guests are obviously marvelous. Thank you very much, Benjamin, uh, for for your input. Thank Colleagues, you. thank you very much. Until we meet again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.